Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, all right, gang. Welcome and happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. 2021. And to the best Tuesday you've had all week. Is it the first Tuesday of the year? It is. So check it out. That makes this the best True Wealth show we've done all year. Yes. Sweet. Done. This, by the way, Box is checked. the year. For what? Well, I mean, it's the year <laughs> we're in, right? So there you go. No, it's I, I'm actually, 2021, first of all, we can officially say 2020 is hindsight. And I love that it's hindsight is 2020. Right? Now, when people say, well, 2021's got to be better, right? And I'm like, shh. Yeah, don't, don't poke the bear. Don't taunt it. No, no right? No. Don't none of that jinx language. You stop it, right? I the whole New Year's thing is just so weird to me. I mean, I get wanting to start over sometimes, but why does it have to be on a specific date? Like you can kind of just make decisions and start things over anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Right? Like why? That's... Why do we get so hung up on a calendar year? You know. I get the why, but I also understand why so many people fail at it. You know, when you have an arbitrary date to start something, in a sense, it's as if you have also artificially created the environment. Because what happens is if you trip up, then you're like, well, shoot, I blew it. And so what's the point? And a lot of people just sort of punt because the commitment wasn't to making a permanent change. It was just a... Ah, well, you know, it's a novelty. We'll give it a shot, see how long it lasts. Well, yeah, if you plan to fail from the beginning or because you didn't plan to because be you, successful, because right? Because you failed to plan That's from the, the beginning. That's the thing, right? And there is just, it's crazy the magic of plans. You know what? Did you, so did you write down your 2021 goals? Yes. They're all not, They're not done, right? But yes. You I actually, I don't think that you have shared that with the staff or like because we have new staff this year yes about actually writing them down and making sure that we have them and well we have an appointment for everybody on thursday okay well there you go it's literally on the calendar and i've been you know i've been polling all week with subtle little things like tell me about your big uh rocks right that's a code by the way like when i say big rocks i'm now gonna shit like katie's like did you really call it big rocks like you don't even know what I'm talking about. Do no, you? I'm giving him weird looks. So this is the the I I don't know what college professor really did this, but it's a real like it really works, right? So if you take a jar, oh I know, and this you one. put a bunch of sand and gravel in it, you can't put any big rocks in if it's full of sand and gravel. Right, so, you gotta layer things in. Yeah, with the large so, ones first. The large first, and then you make your way into smaller and smaller. So you start with the really big stuff. Those are like your big goals. And then gravel can be packed around the rocks and you get more into the jar, right? So the jar is full with big rocks. I remember this challenge. And then he, like, the jar looked completely full with big rocks rocks, and then with the gravel gravel and sand. And And then then they're like, can we stick any more in the jar? And everybody goes, no. And then he poured water over the top of it. Well, the one I hear is that they pour a can of beer in and they go, and two cans at that, because you always got to make room for a couple of beers. Uh, I love that one. I am not suggesting that anybody drink or that it become a vice for you. That's not what I mean. I like the analogy analogy of like, you know, you got to make some time to have a, a social part of your life and let people be part of it too. It can't be all work and no play. Right. And that is something really important. Uh, 
Well, isn't that kind of where the phrase work hard, play harder came from? <laughs> that was a nice grunt. Well, because it's, I mean, I not necessarily live by that, but, you know, I like to go on vacation and I like to play hard, too. So it's like I work hard and I play hard. So I, I get the work hard, play hard. I know some people that say, hey, do you live to work or work to live? Those are lots of different little uh Can I say that about food? Here's the one that I have taken to a little bit more, which is that you want to seek balance. And I know for some, I've heard people that say things like balance is terrible. And I go, well, then you're doing it wrong. Because balance to me is things like you need to defer some gratification, but you can't defer it forever. Okay? No. This is and- a really weird thing and if you have an investment person say to you, because long-term investing and compound interest is absolutely- All about deferred gra- gratific- yeah. gratification. Let's try that word again. Yeah, but that's the pathway to long-term wealth is historically speaking, it hasn't been about market timing or anything fancy. It's like get in the market early and often and ride through it. And it just, it's like the rising tide lifts the boat. Well, it's because the way compound interest works is first you have a little bit, but then when you get a little interest, that interest also gets interest. And then that adds a little bit more, which adds a little bit more. And at some point, the interest is growing faster than the amounts that you were contributing to it. Right. And when that happens, it just sort of takes off like a rocket ship. And you can build massive wealth if you could just live long enough. Like We're all vampires, right? You can live like (laughs) three, four, five hundred years. Then imagine a 500-year lifespan of compound interest. You'd be a bazillionaire. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, the trick is time in the market. But- what happens when you're forced to make the choice between, like, I here's a classic, right? Um, should you have kids when you're young or when you're older and you have more financial means? Oh, that's a hard one. Right. There's not a right or wrong answer to that one. But what I will tell you is that there are trade-offs. Oh, there's definitely trade-offs. Right? When you're younger, you have more energy to play with them and chase them around. And as you get older, there's a little less energy to do that. Right. But you have other resources that can make it easier because you can do things like the vacations and other stuff. As you're older, you can hire nannies to run around and chase them. (laughs) And honestly, that should happen. Like, Like, I think the natural progression... If you are, because here's a, this is a danger zone. I'm going to, I will kind of take a little shot across the bow here and I'm going to take a bold stand that you, you should build your net worth with time. Right. And you, your value should go up uh, for in the workplace as your experience and talent level grows. You're, you're more valuable to an organization. So whether you're an employee or an entrepreneur, if you find yourself stuck somewhere and this is honestly this is the argument where uh, I don't want to turn it into a debate with you and if you're listening out there um, the issue with minimum wage is I, I, I like to tell people it shouldn't be relevant right um, minimum wage is not relevant in our office right because there's nothing that we do like there's no employee on our team that a minimum wage workers competent to do their position it takes a higher level of experience and competency and right. to be able to navigate the rules and the regulations and so forth of our industry. Well, and, okay. and minimum wage was designed, from what I understand it better, is it was kind of designed as an entry wage. I don't know that minimum wage was ever designed to be Well, I, I'm not even trying to discuss one. that. I'm just suggesting that. So the entry level jobs are the ones where, like, that's the 
the first jobs that you get where you're developing skills and right. learning how to navigate the marketplace. And at They're that point, not you should absorb jobs. all the information and all like let everybody teach you. Right. right. Be a great listener and a great student and learn. But but this is the thing. If if your job is something anybody can do, it's less valuable. Right. The more replaceable your job is, the less valuable it is, because if you're not willing to do it, they can go to somebody else to bid it out. Right. Right. Now, when your job becomes more sophisticated, not everybody can do it. And so the scarcity is what makes it more valuable. Right. And that's a big deal. For some reason, we have folks out there that will insist that every job should be a living wage job. And I would say it, they just aren't. No. Right. Because at some point, if you force that to be the logic, you know what businesses do? They raise their prices. Well, but you know what else they do with labor? They lay people off. Well, they automate it, right? right? Anything that you can replace people with machines, you'll start doing. Right. And if you think about our office, we still do some of that, right? We've replaced people with software. Yeah, some of it. Okay. And so we have software and systems that are designed to increase the productivity of our team rather than having to expand the team. Right. The nice part is about software is as an employer, I don't have to pay for things like taxes and benefits. Now, I will or tell you guys. Days. Or sick <laughs> days. Yeah, that's true. I, 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 the software doesn't really take vacation unless it like has a an issue that needs to be solved because <laughs> unless, unless the whole server gets a virus, but right. not in I mean, our like, office. Like it's, they're not immune. But no. the, the idea is that it has way more uptime, way more scalability, and it increases the pro productivity of the workforce we have. Right. And, and let me be really clear as an employer, and Katie, you hopefully can back me up on this. I'm putting you on the spot, but I don't think I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Well, I we we don't treat employees like a cost. No, we don't. We don't sit there okay. and count. Like the every beans. person on our team is an investment in our success, and we win as a team. Right. Right. Now, I realize that not every organization thinks and operates that way. Well, it's but, every but we do. Every team member is. It's truly a team, right? I mean, if you used more of a sports analogy, every person has their roles and has a job to do. I mean, no lineman shows up to play football and then doesn't do his job. He wouldn't be on the team any longer. Yeah, or if you right? don't do the job, then the team gets hurt. The team gets hurt, right? and, you know, it's, and it's the same analogy. And in a, even in our office, it's like every team member is pulling together and working as hard as they can right. to move the football down the field. So it's every team member is crucial. So we wouldn't have people on our team that wouldn't work. Yeah. So anyhow, the... The whole purpose of the conversation, though, is about, you know, you develop your skills and enhance them because I don't like the idea of deferring gratification forever. But it also means that in the choices that we make, you know, you make trade offs throughout life. And I like to talk about how when you're really young, if you were if you can kind of picture in your mind, like look straight ahead, hold your arms straight out in front of you like you're pointing your fingers straight ahead of you and then just kind of take your fingers and move them out to about 10 o'clock and two o'clock like you're pointing this wide channel right and you say look at all this stuff ahead of me and all these options and as we get older and make other decisions our hands start to come closer and closer together in front of us until our fingertips are almost touching because the option set gets limited and becomes defined as time and resources and decisions pass and your field of options begins to narrow Right. Until point. ultimately okay. we get to the end. Right. And that's what happens is like you don't you know, if you're 100 years old and bedridden, you're not hiking a mountain. Right. So that's not an option you get. Your option right. set is more limited. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean. There's some natural limitation. And I'm not trying to limit you or your thinking because I think a lot of people do that. They artificially limit their options. 
but I am suggesting that your decisions will dictate future decisions. Yeah. Right? This, by the way, is a massive cultural issue that we have to address. We've got to address the culture of, like, does everybody get a trophy or are we all accountable to the results that we generate? Yes. Right? Because in real world, printing money isn't a real solution. Right? Like, 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 you can't play with Monopoly money because eventually people don't trust Monopoly money. Right. So, like, the government printing a stimulus check is a stopgap, and the hope is that we don't notice, right? Hey, we just invented money that didn't exist. Hopefully, we don't notice it, and therefore, we can get away with it for a period of time. Although, I felt like I've already noticed it. Like, things are more expensive now. There's less supply. I mean, the supply chain's still broken. These ripples are still cutting through yeah. our economy. And it's interesting you talk about the trophy theory. I was talking with another parent last night. Yeah, the trophy. So you know, okay, we'll I, talk yeah, about it after yeah, the let, break. Yeah, let me let me get you to hold that thought, and I want to hear your thoughts on the trophy theory. But we got to take this break. So stick around. We'll be right back, gang. Where we'll you know everybody may or may not get a trophy. We'll find out. <laughs> um, until then, we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Katie Shook. We got True Wealth on News Radio twelve forty KQEN. It's the it, the Eminem theory matters, okay? <laughs> We're talking science fair projects because in my so. world, it's science fair time. My children are in school and they have science fair coming up in a couple weeks. But before we left to the break, I want to know: Does your science fair? Does everybody get a trophy? That was the question at the break. No, right? they don't. Good. Actually, our school does not believe that everybody gets a trophy. By the way, I would be willing to wager that the vast majority of people don't like the everybody gets a trophy thing. I think it I think it also gets a bad rap. I think that there were some things but but we've learned a lot, right? No, like people, the, the everybody gets a trophy thing has been sort of an unmitigated disaster. It's damaging to self esteem. Yeah, because then it's not worth anything. Well and because the people like if you if you have a play a game and you don't keep score, the one losing still knows. But now they feel almost ashamed about it because it's like, well we're not even going to acknowledge it. We're going to pretend like I'm not losing and I know I'm losing. And so it's actually destructive to the psyche of the person that you do that to. Now, it's not to suggest you should overglorify the trophy. You shouldn't. Yeah, you should. So teaching people to be good sports on both sides, right? To be a, a good winner and congratulate the team and also to be a good loser and realize and recognize that you're not going to win everything in life. And I think those are valuable lessons yeah, to I learn. I think the biggie is just that in real life, wins and losses happen. And it may not be like sometimes this is an interesting concept. I can't take credit for this, but somebody else gave it to me, which is that uh, a lot of, as as we age, like I'm, I've always been a really competitive person. And uh, you know, well, who knew what? Right? Uh, yeah, maybe a little. Right. <laughs> and, you know, did a lot of sports growing up and so forth. And not just for the team environment, because I genuinely like I didn't like team sports as much as I like the individual efforts where I could compete head to head with people because I wanted to win. Right. And there there's probably some character flaws in there and some a lot Which of character means building. That you had a lot of like that either you were competing in something that, you know, you could win. Right. Because having a team wrap around you is usually when you're like, well, I need some strong support to help me win. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't I don't draw that conclusion per se. I'm just saying my personal it was like reinforcing yeah, yeah. Track my and desire. Field. We to know it's win. all about you. Well, until <laughs> you get to the next level. And in college, I realized, whoo, 
okay, there's another there's another gear that I don't have, right? And so that was really humbling, but it also helped me to understand that you're not going to win everything if you're competing against everybody. But to fight honorably or to, you know, to play honorably is important. Where I'm going with the illustration is that for a lot of folks, their career is like their sport. Okay. Okay. And you do need to sort of learn how to navigate that, but you need to be a good sport in your career because uh, nobody wants to play with a jerk. True. Well, it's the medical school thing, right? Like the cream of the crop goes to med school, med- medical school to become a doctor. But that doesn't mean that every person in a doctor program gets A's. Like there's still a bell curve a little bit. Like there's still medical sure. doctors that got C's in medical school. Well, you know what they call the doctor with the lowest grades? Doctor. Yes. <laughs> well, provided he doesn't, yeah. he or she I, doesn't fail out. But yes, uh, they call him doctor. So it's, it's. I mean, sometimes you need the good grades to get where you need to go. But at some point you're competing at such a high level that you just can't be the winner all the time. Right. And it also defines, you know, how do you define wins? True. Right. And that's a biggie is this uh, this false idea that we're all running the same race. And so we all need to get trophies and so forth. I go, that's not really a, a fair argument because I think, Katie, where you're trying to run to in your life and where I'm trying to run to, they have some similar parts of the course, but then right. some are really different. True. Like our priority sets are different. And that's neither good nor bad. It just is. Well, we're also not even the same gender. So we're going right. to look at things differently and prioritize Wait, things differently. You can say that on the radio? What? I know. Uh, Although we are close in age, though. So there sure. are certain things that are similar just based on the fact that we're close in age. Mm-hmm. But Well, there, there are lots of things that we have in common, but we just aren't the same person. No, we're not. We don't even necessarily process the same way. I mean, we do a lot of problem solving on the team. And part of the benefit is different perspectives to solve a problem. True. Right? And, I agree. And and most of the time, I'm right. <laughs> what is it? I may not always be right, but I'm never wrong. Um, yeah, so- that's that's not entirely. <laughs> that's a statement in jest, just so we're clear here. Um, and not at, not aimed at David, by the way. But it's so. This brings up a good point, though. If you are making decisions right for your future and and we're always making decisions right like we're talking about even a decision matrix which you have been known to create in our office um (laughs) because david likes spreadsheets and drawings i don't like spreadsheets let's be very clear but i love flowcharts okay david loves flowcharts but the when you're making decisions it's good to have people that have made smart decisions in that area as a sounding board because they do help you get a different perspective at times or like maybe think maybe they'll come up with something that you didn't think about you and i were talking about real estate the other day and bouncing ideas off each other and right. a great idea came out of it right so and it wasn't mine it was mine but <laughs> <laughs> i'll totally take credit <laughs> great idea came out. my great idea I, came out. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say me but you just said it wasn't yours so therefore it's fine um no but it's but being able to look at things in a different perspective, there's times when I've come to you and said, I have this problem. And you said, did you think about that? And I went, no, I didn't. I didn't think about that. So having those good sounding board people in your life is something that's very valuable. Right. This is the, by the way, this is the, the subtle mention of like mentorship and why there's value in having mentorship and mastermind groups. And if these are all things where you're like, I don't, I've never heard of that. Okay. Go hear about it. 
Okay, not just on this radio program, but understand that um, a lot of folks that are really successful, what they find fulfillment in is helping to teach others. I know that there's this myth out there that the bazillionaires are all this elite crowd that doesn't like the people around them. I have not found that to be true. I have found that now the bazillionaires, I don't run in those circles, but I know lots of folks with really high net worths some of the nicest, kindest, most generous people I know, and they are very willing to share knowledge and advice, and they are quite interested in... Uh, your success. If, like, yeah, they're invested uh, yeah. in your success. Well, and it's it's interesting. The most successful people that I know, while they are guarded about their own business secrets where appropriate, are not guarded about their desire for other people to succeed. They really have a different mindset this and this is so I we've hinted around about the millionaire mindset before. This is a real thing, though. The idea is that there's not a, a static amount in the pot, and it's just everybody's trying to scrap for the biggest piece of the pie they can get. They literally see it as the pie can continue to be made bigger and bigger, and there's no limitations to the kind of prosperity that can be created if we all work together. Well, then it's like the tide lifts all ships, right? Like, I mean, yeah. and, and they end up being the tide, right? Like if they help lift you up and help train you, then you're going to help do good in the community and it's going to ripple through. So it's like, you know, being able yeah. to lift everybody up is something that's really nice. Yeah, There's a math reason that this works, by the way, because of the way our, uh, our society's financial system is built, right? And because we use a fractional reserve banking system that as people become more prosperous and they deposit more money into the banks, the banks have more money to loan out, which means more people can access more capital to grow more to magnify the system even further. Right. So they're just feeding the system, yeah. right? So it's it going is a in, magnification effect that occurs. So uh, success and prosperity actually breeds more success and prosperity in, in, until there's a point at which people are willing to pay too much or you have other things like this is a this is a weird one probably too deep to dig into today but demographic trends are big okay um if what you do you mean well if you have a shrinking population it's hard to expand your economy because you're, you're taking demand out of the economy true right? because you have less people spending yeah yeah so as, as you have fewer numbers of people that are consuming or producing in the economy then you are directly affecting the supply and demand dynamic and so if Got you it. reduce the demand, then prices fall. And if prices fall, then fewer dollars circulate. Fewer dollars circulate, you actually have a deflationary pressure on the economy. It's literally what happened with COVID, right? Right. People lost their jobs. Money was tied up. What the government did that was stimulative was the, the stimulus was let us give you money even though you're not in the workforce right now. We'll extend unemployment and we'll magnify it. The idea being, let's put money in your hands. Because you need to spend it. You need, you need to need buy to food. It. You need to buy stuff. Right. So now the trick question is, Katie, why, why are we still seeing things get more expensive? I still think it's a supply chain thing. I agree. I agree with you. I think that what we're seeing is if people aren't going to work, then now we've changed the supply side of right. the equation, not the demand side. More money may change demand. But supply is its own issue. And if people aren't going to work, then that's going to interrupt 
the amount of product that can be produced. Right. And if and there's so, not enough product, then people are paying more for the product that's left because they're fighting over it in essence to get it. Right. And this is the idea of if there's a farm that can't doesn't have enough people to make the harvest, then the they harvest, harvest. will be smaller. You yeah. know. So th- those are mechanical issues that go along with what happened with COVID. And so Gosh, you know, now we've covered all kinds of ground, right? We we started with, you know, happy. I thought new we, this year. was going to be a happy show about New Year's, and well, now we're into yeah, supply yeah, chain things. Happy New Year! <laughs> let's talk about goals. No, not everybody gets a trophy. Hey, there's real life. Minimum wage is something that you should strive to out earn anyway. You shouldn't need the government to set that bar. You should push yourself harder than that. Right. And then you look at the supply and demand curves, and then understand the supply interruptions were what COVID has really created. Uh, I want to use this as a springboard to talk about something else as we're approaching a break here. And that is, so looking forward, what should the rest of this year, what what might the rest of this year start to look like and how will that affect the supply and demand curve? Because this is a really fancy way of saying, hey, you guys curious where the stock market's going this year? I would love to know. All right. Well, let's cover that, but we got to take a break first. So uh, stick around. We're going to make... All kinds of fun of 2021. Or wait, make 2021 lots of yeah, whatever. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. Yeah, True Well. A news radio, 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Well Show. Dave Littlejohn and Katie Shook and it's the best show we have done all year it has been so exhausting to do one show (laughs) I know right anyway hey uh, if you're just joining us don't forget we do podcast this thing you can check it out tomorrow at littlejohnfs.com it's under the educate tab there you go our three pillars yep educate plan and invest in that order right so first you got to learn then you got to develop a strategy then you can execute that's how that works is what do we want how do we do it then let's go to work right all right uh as we are talking you know we went into the break i wanted to sort of set the stage for 2021 um some concepts to share with everybody and the idea behind this segment is to really give you uh, a sense of some of the data points that you may want to keep an eye on and also to get back to basics on analysis, right? Uh, there's some really interesting stuff going on in the stock market right now. And the temptation is, so first the bragging rights, okay? Bragging rights. Bragging rights. So I, I produced these on January 9th of last year. I produced projections where I had an estimated final price for the S&P 500 between 35.73 and 37.70. And we finished it, I believe, let's see if I can roll it back on that specific day. The last day of the year here, we finished at 37.56. So 14 points. I was within 14 points of target. For the Dang, year. that's pretty good. Right? Now, that's not because, I mean, that's as much luck as anything, truthfully. Uh, what happened? Well, it's a forecast. I mean, it, I mean, it was it was an educated guess. It, was it wasn't the maximum like... of the forecast, though. Like that range, it was a little higher than I expected. We, we kind of hit where I expected mid November, and then we carried higher with a December push. Thank goodness everybody's returns like that. Yay. Yes. Yeah. But, but nevertheless, uh, what I didn't foresee was the COVID shutdown and the massive lockdown. 
But the, the recovery in the stock market has been surprising. It seems as if the stock market has been sort of immune to COVID. Interesting. Why do you say it that way? Well, because it once it went down and the stimulus started flowing, it it rallied a lot. Basically, the stock market retook its highs in September and started setting new highs from there. And then October was sort of dicey. I'm talking about the S&P 500 mostly, but uh, well, a lot of companies took the minute to pause and said, "Okay, if we're going to make these upgrades or figure out how to distance work or." You know, it's like we can't stay shut down forever. Everybody kind of went, well, a little bit's okay, but a lot is not good. So See, there were quite this... a few people that I think retooled to keep the market going. So, and people got new jobs. And I'm I'm going to play a funny game with you. Okay. Right? Because everything that you just described seems reasonable and plausible. But I'm going to peel this back and I'm going to reveal, does the emperor have any clothes? Uh-oh. Okay. All right. I'm going to bring out one of my favorites that we talk about just because I think it's cool, but I can't figure out the price. Okay. And you know what it is. It's Tesla. Right? Why is Tesla so expensive? As far as the stock goes? Yeah. Because it's popular. I'm going going based on the popularity. Anytime you watch a YouTube video and there's like a really popular YouTuber, they're driving a Tesla. Yeah. So Tesla right now to me is like the junior high class president race <laughs> the junior high not okay. even high school not even okay. high school because at high school people are kind of like well i kind of want the president to have a certain amount of competency but in junior high it's just a straight popularity contest right it doesn't matter what you can do it's like whoever the kid is that shows up that's it's always the cute kid or yeah the popular kid right yeah. it's like that's just sort of who gets it it's it's more like the prom king and queen right right right? it's not even a you know in high school it's like the prom queen and king kind of deal it's like all right well it's just a straight up popularity contest now every now and then folks try to engineer something that's maybe cute or sweet that's mostly for hallmark movies and not real life but but what's going on is it's priced that high because someone's willing to pay that much for it Right. This is real estate in 2006. Right. Yeah, it's the bigger fool. And that's the idea is like I can buy it as long as somebody else will pay more for it. And that's kind of like Bitcoin to me right now. Bitcoin's gone nuclear. Right. Oh, it's totally gone nuclear. And we so, keep joking around about that, too. And so I look at these and I go, there's not any kind of rationale in the numbers. It's just become a popularity contest and a FOMO contest. You brought up one. Which made me laugh. And of course, we always talk about little things off air, but the the Zima concept when that came out, like Zima was so popular, everybody had to have Zima. Right. And now it's gone. And it's gone. Yeah. Like, and is, so is Tesla going to be the next thing that's a Zima? And who knows, right? Well, I mean, we I don't doubt, know. I don't think Tesla's going to be gone, but I think that the stock price is way out of line with traditional measures of reality. And people are inventing new ways to analyze it, to rationalize it. You know, oh, no, Tesla's a technology company. You don't understand it. They're going to have uh, software, and you're going to be paying a subscription to drive your car. And I'm like, great, so you're going to get another cost on top of what you're already paying? It's, it's there maybe eventually, but that's priced for like 10 years from now, and you're paying for it today. So Tesla has to make 10 more years of progress the way it's sort of structured. And, and even then, I'm like, how is Tesla – Gonna make that than, much more progress. They're, they're in 10 bigger years. than General Motors, and they make less money, and yeah, they sell fewer cars. Sense. And everybody's like, "Well, you just don't get the future." It's like, no, you're correct. I don't get it, 
but it doesn't matter. There's no rational explanation, but supply and demand, this is how bubbles look. This is the Dutch tulip bubble, right? Remember? Right, right. Yeah, you about? explained that so, one. So that's part of it. And so traditional valuation, there's lots of people justifying why the stock market can go up right now because it's got non-traditional valuation. Here's the reality. It has to do with the aggressiveness of the buyer. So do we have a lot of aggressive buyers all of a sudden yeah, getting think, into the marketplace? I want you to think about going to a charity auction when a couple of people get in a bidding war over something and they spend way more than it's worth because they want to outbid the other person. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so there's a macho factor. Oh, there's totally it. an ego involved in that okay? one. Okay. Well, that's not necessarily the case in the stock market per se, but FOMO is a big one. Fear of missing out. Uh, how many people are like, I better buy Bitcoin now because JP Morgan said it's going to go to $147,000. Oh, my goodness. So I'll spend $33,000 for a Bitcoin right now or maybe thirty four. Who knows? It keeps moving up like a $500 an hour or something. Jeez. And because uh, I've got to get there because this thing's going to the moon, Alice. And well, I go, is it? Yeah. And I, I can't understand it. It's entirely based on, well, I better get it now because if I don't get it now, I can't afford it later. I remember real estate in 2006 when people said, well, if I don't buy it now, I'll never be able to afford it. I remember people saying, well, I'll buy it now and I'll sell it in two months for twice as much. And yeah. everybody just kept saying, like, they had no long-term game plan. It was like, nope, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to yeah. hold on to it. And, and I then... remember the two-year house that I lived in became a 12-year house. Right. 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 Because the market crashed. We bought it at the end of 05. And when our two years was up and we were ready to sell it, it was worth less than we paid for it. Like the market had crashed that hard that in six is months. so crazy. And so. Oh, yeah. I had friends that were trying to get in and out of houses quickly when that whole market was hot. And I mean, I knew people that were getting their real estate license right and left because of it. They're like, I can make commissions and I'm buying this house. And oh, yeah. Everybody was a realtor. There right? were a couple of people filing bankruptcy at the end of that, too. Yep. So wait, are we being interrupted by. We are. I think we are. I wonder if this shows up on the podcast, too. Or I don't if it's know. different on the radio. It's They're doing some kind of emergency break-in. So we're we're pausing while the station does this, and I'll let you know when it's over. But thinking through it. Oh, it's a monthly test. Not in a real emergency. Glad. We, no, it's not a real emergency. I can hear it, Katie. Okay. All right. And so sounds like we're back. Nope. And trying this one more time. Testing now. Okay, there we go. We're back. So, <laughs> I man, even, I don't even know where we that got off track on is that. Totally thing. 2021, right? Like, it's going to be a great year. And, and peace. So, <laughs> here comes the train right through the middle of the station. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, let me summarize market activity for a second here, looking forward. Uh, if you're looking for a rationale that's grounded in the numbers, what you're going to hear from people is, well, when interest rates are super low and the cost of capital is super low or potentially negative interest rates, which is not impossible, it's it won't probably go negative for mortgages, just so you know. But like banks, they may charge you to keep money in a bank that's so crazy because they don't want that. They want the money in circulation. So if that's the case, then in a negative interest rate environment, you will... 
uh, you can sort of change the value of stocks because the formula that people are thinking is, well, the risk-free rate of return is zero, so now I have to pay a premium to get into the risk part of the market. And so that's what you're paying for is the risk aspect of the stock market. And there is no risk-free premium because the interest rate is effectively zero. Right. So then in that case, the price-to-earnings ratio and so forth matters less. So you can have much higher P.E. ratios because of the, the way you're mathing out this analysis. My, my suggestion is that's a little scary. Uh, that's people, I think there's some rationalization for price. It's kind of like saying, well, hey, you should go buy that house in 2006 or you'll never be able to afford it. And it's oh like, my well, goodness. we know how that came back to haunt us. So I'm just cautious. Uh, I, my suspicion is that the market, and this is not a prediction, nor is it a recommendation. I'm going to tell you my suspicion. I think the market can push higher from here. Um, the S&P value is at about 72.26 right now. And, you know, I'm hearing analysts that are saying numbers like 4,000. That's not an inachievable number. Wait, um, you said 72.26. You mean 27. 3,726. Oh, okay, you said 72. It oh, was... sorry. So, sorry, 37.26. Thank you. And maybe going up to as high as 4,000 before potentially taking a bit of a breather and a reset. And uh, I can see a lot of things going on that that would make sense. Because much of what drove the indexes higher was large companies that got bigger. And if the economy starts to reopen as vaccines are rolled out and so forth, no, I'm not going to discuss whether or not there's a vaccine conspiracy, um, is that as that, that rolls out and COVID starts to get better managed on a broad basis, my suspicion is that money starts to transition the markets. If it's moving out of the big stocks into other areas of risk, the big stocks were the ones that buoyed the whole market, which means that rollover period is a price adjustment point because money is repositioning. But do keep this in mind. The, the takeaway of this segment is that what drives prices higher is the aggressiveness of the buyer. Okay, If there is no buyer, then prices drop precipitously, right? Because you have to keep lowering and lowering and lowering until, until somebody says, a wow, buyer. a fire sale. Right. But when people got to have it and there's a lot of buyers and there's not a lot of supply, that price can go up in a hurry. Hence, things like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a limited supply, and if everybody's afraid they're going to miss it, they pile on and it goes nuts. Crazy. So there you go. Anyway, uh, got one more thing to cover, but we got to take our last break. So stick around, and we'll be back. Uh, I had some listeners that have asked about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. We are going to talk about that when we come back. But we got to take this break. So we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Katie Shook. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, David Littlejohn, with my co-hostess. Aw, Katie Shook. And, you know, it's the home stretch of the show here. Uh, it's kind of the beginning of 2021. Greatest show we've had all year. And really one of the best Tuesday programs you've heard all year. <laughs> I mean, just off the meter for 2021. Well, we've already had, you know, a broadcast break and everything else. So why not? Let's just I nail know. it all into 2021. We're just kicking tail and taking names here. Uh, 
I want to bring up in this last little segment just a few minutes to talk about something that's kind of interesting and it's it's a little there's parts of it that are fringy and then there are parts of it that are not and I can totally see how this is getting morphed. We'll keep an eye on it, but there's something out there called the Great Reset and it's being proposed by a group called the World Economic Forum. And that sounds uh, very uh professional. Well, it does and it you know it's it's, but then when you say of, things like a reset, then I'm like, eh, it sounds like a conspiracy theory. Well, that's where there is conspiracy theory associated with it. Okay. And it's the conspiracy theory essentially, first of all, the basics of the theory are that um, organi- like global companies, okay. so companies are doing business around the world. So this is not really countries right now, although they're, ter- they're lobbying for this too. Um, the World Economic Forum meets in Davos, Switzerland, and they get together and they talk about you know the issues of the global economy. Well, COVID has been a global issue. And since the infrastructure has, uh, a lot of supply chains have been disrupted, a lot of economies have been really uh, on the rocks as a result of uh, the response to COVID, there, there are people that are suggesting that we should go through what they are calling a great reset. You know, a lot of currencies are in flux. Now, the, the great reset is not about currency but this is where the conspiracy dovetails and it's easy to see and understand why right so it's the the concept is that if if everything's getting broken anyway then the reset needs to be about changing some of the motivations of capitalism to be a little bit more altruistic this is my interpretation by the way i'm taking some artistic liberty with this and the the idea is that it needs to be a more sustainable rebuild that's that's managed from a global perspective so that countries are trying to do more sustainable economics and a little bit gr- like greener capitalism in general. So it's a, it's a sustainability movement as I'm reading and understanding it. And admittedly, I'm not super deep in this one yet. But there are a number of large multinational corporations that have signed on and said, conceptually, this sounds good. So and like, you know, save the planet, let's do better. There's, yes, yeah, some okay. of that's going on. Now, where it takes a left turn is when conspiracy theorists are saying this is a kind of a modality that's encouraging socialism as a pathway to Marxism and the end of individual ownership, uh, a reset of the global financial system and getting rid of all currencies and coming up with a single global currency and then a, a sort of a new world order or a unified global government. That's okay? kind of crazy. And I, my suggestion is that an awful lot has to take place. For, to get there. Like, that's a really grand, diabolical, James Bondy kind of scheme. Right. right? And I was thinking more pinky in the brain, but okay. <laughs> so, James Bond. So whatever it is, you know, it's like this, ha we shall take over the world. And I'm like, well, first of all, who is we? Because uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I I remember being the president of my HOA where I used to live, and we, you know, we had a couple, you know, 150 homeowners or something like that. I'm trying to get them to agree. We couldn't herd that group of cats, right? <laughs> so, well, and I mean, wouldn't everybody just vote for their own team, right? Isn't that like when everybody wants to be president, everybody votes for themselves? Right. So, and, and here's kind of my take on a lot of this. Uh, I haven't looked at who they are yet, but I want to see who the players are because my my guess is that there are financial incentives for those players. You know, if you are in the business of being green and sustainable, then getting the entire world to back this is a really interesting and nice idea. The same way if you're in the business of creating carbon offsets, then you want to get governments to require companies to curtail their use of carbon 
Right. So that you because can... then the the carbon credits become something they can buy from you, right? It's right. a money making instrument that was sort of created based on regulation. Right. And that uh, uh, this is my healthy dose of suspicion is that whenever there are global efforts and I see countries that we have countries that are willing to exploit child labor and pollute their own water systems, right? Whether they do it meaningfully or not, it is happening and they're not intervening. And then to turn around and tell the countries that are intervening, you need to do better. I'm always like a, huh, right? Well, like, like I like the idea on paper of a climate accord where everybody agrees to play nice and not poison our planet. I think, that sounds like an okay idea. Yeah, but and how do they you say, get the naughty but boys But only to... you pay for it. Nobody else has to do it. And I go, oh, so there's the gotcha. Well, right? how do you make the people that aren't obeying now obey? That's the other issue, right? It's like, what's the compulsion? And um, as best I can tell, in, incentives work fine, but compulsion involves forcing people to do things they don't want to do, which is problematic. Right. So And difficult to do. So I guess what I'm suggesting is that I think it's very early in the game. If this is a conspiracy, it's so early that it's not yet on my threat radar. I think that it's more about folks trying to promote um, areas where they have a financial interest and they can get really big players to spend really big money. This is how billionaires kind of move chess pieces. Right. So that's what I see is this is billionaire chess on a global scale more so than a conspiracy theory to end individual ownership. Now, I could do an entire radio show on why I don't think individual ownership is in danger at this point. Right. Okay. And some of you would be really interested and some of you would be really like rolling like, their eyes in the back yeah, of their you head. Yeah, you dig in and say, that's not true. It's this, that, and the other. I go, well, you know, pragmatically is different than passionate, right? Pragmatics true. and passion are not the same. But we're not going to do that now because frankly, we are out of time as I look at the clock. So, But I do want to remind you guys, if you have questions or things you'd like us to address or unpack on the show, reach out to us. 541-375-0898. Right. Uh, and also, you can email us. Info at littlejohnfs.com. And you can go to our website. Littlejohnfs.com. Or our social also, little John FS. <laughs> <laughs> I was just see how many times I could get you. Look, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us, guys. Happy New Year. And until next time, uh, if there's questions you have, give us a call at 541-375-0898. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.